Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash COPD or in the respiratory section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD is a long-term progressive condition involving airway obstruction, chronic bronchitis and emphysema. It's almost always the result of smoking and is largely preventable. While it's not reversible, it is treatable. Damage to the lung tissues obstructs the flow of air through the airways. Chronic bronchitis refers to long-term symptoms of a cough and sputum production due to inflammation in the bronchi. Emphysema involves damage and dilatation of the alveolar sacs and the alveoli, decreasing the surface area that's available for gas exchange. Unlike in asthma, the airway obstruction is minimally or not reversible with bronchodilators, such as salbutamol. Patients with COPD can have exacerbations during which their lung function worsens. Exacerbations triggered by infection are called infective exacerbations of COPD. Let's talk about the presentation. A typical presentation of COPD is a long-term smoker with persistent symptoms of shortness of breath, cough, sputum production, wheeze and recurrent respiratory infections, particularly in winter. A Tom tip for you. COPD does not cause clubbing, hemoptysis or coughing up blood, or chest pain. These symptoms should be investigated for a different cause such as lung cancer, pulmonary fibrosis or heart failure. Let's talk about the MRC dyspnea scale. The MRC or Medical Research Council dyspnea scale is a five-point scale for assessing breathlessness. Grade 1 is when they're breathless on strenuous exercise. Grade 2 is breathless on walking uphill. Grade 3 is breathlessness that slows walking on the flat. Grade 4 is breathlessness that stops them from walking more than 100 metres on the flat. And grade 5 is when they're unable to leave the house due to breathlessness. Next let's talk about making the diagnosis. The diagnosis is based on the clinical presentation and the spirometry results. Spirometry will show an obstructive picture with an FEV1 to FVC ratio of less than 70%. There is little or no response to reversibility testing with beta 2 agonists, for example salbutamol. Reversible obstruction is more suggestive of asthma. Next let's talk about the severity. The severity of COPD can be graded using the forced expiratory volume in one second or FEV1. Stage 1 or mild is when the FEV1 is more than 80% of predicted. 
Stage 2, or moderate, is when the FEV1 is 50 to 79% of predicted. Stage 3, or severe, is 30 to 49% of predicted. And stage 4, or very severe, is when the FEV1 is less than 30% of predicted. Let's talk about some other investigations. Other investigations relevant to COPD include a body mass index at baseline and weight loss occurs in severe disease, a chest x-ray to exclude other pathologies such as lung cancer, a full blood count for polycythemia or a raised hemoglobin due to chronic hypoxia or chronically low oxygen levels, anemia on the full blood count or infection where there'll be raised white blood cell count, sputum culture to assess for chronic infections such as pseudomonas, an ECG and echocardiogram to assess for heart failure and core pulmonale, which we'll talk about later, a CT thorax to look for an alternative diagnosis such as fibrosis, cancer or bronchiectasis, a serum alpha-1 antitrypsin level to look for alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, and a transfer factor for carbon monoxide, or TLCO, to test the diffusion of inhaled gas into the blood, and it will be reduced in COPD. Next, let's talk about the long-term management. Continuing smoking will progressively worsen lung function and the prognosis. Smoking cessation services are available. Patients should have the pneumococcal and annual flu vaccine. Pulmonary rehabilitation involves a multidisciplinary approach to help improve the function and quality of life, including physical training and education. Initial medical treatment recommended by the NICE guidelines updated in 2019 involve short-acting beta-2 agonists, for example salbutamol, and short-acting muscarinic antagonists, for example ipratropium bromide. The second step, where the symptoms or exacerbations are still a problem despite the initial medical management, is determined by whether there are asthmatic or steroid-responsive features to the COPD. And this is measured by a previous diagnosis of asthma or atopy, variation in the FEV1 of more than 400 mils, diurnal variability in the peak flow of more than 20%, and a raised blood eosinophil count. Where there are no asthmatic or steroid-responsive features, Treatment involves a combination of long-acting beta agonists and long-acting muscarinic antagonists. Some examples of combination inhalers containing a long-acting beta agonist and a long-acting muscarinic antagonist are Anoroelipta, Ultibro Breezehaler and Duoclear Genuair. Where there are asthmatic or steroid-responsive features, Treatment involves a combination of long-acting beta agonists and inhaled corticosteroids. Examples of combination inhalers containing long-acting beta agonists and inhaled corticosteroids are Foster, Simbicort and Ceratide. 
The final inhaler step is a combination of a long-acting beta agonist, a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, and an inhaled corticosteroid. Examples of combination inhalers are Trimbo, Trelogy Elliptor, and Trixio Aerosphere. In more severe cases, additional options guided by a specialist are nebulizers, for example nebulized salbutamol or ipratropium, oral theophylline, oral mucolytic therapy to break down the sputum, for example carbocysteine, prophylactic antibiotics, for example azithromycin, oral corticosteroids, for example prednisolone, oral phosphodiesterase 4 inhibitors, for example roflumilast, long-term oxygen therapy at home, lung volume reduction surgery, which involves removing damaged lung tissue to improve the function of the healthier tissue, and palliative care, where opiates and other drugs may be used to help with breathlessness. Patients taking azithromycin long-term need ECG and liver function monitoring before and during treatment. Long-term oxygen therapy is used for severe COPD with chronic hypoxia, where the saturations are below 92%, polycythemia, where there's a raised haemoglobin, cyanosis, or corpulmonale. Smoking is a contraindication to long-term oxygen therapy due to the fire risk. So let's talk in more detail about corpulmonale. Corpulmonale refers to right-sided heart failure caused by respiratory disease. The increased pressure and resistance in the pulmonary arteries, called pulmonary hypertension, limits the right ventricle from pumping blood into the pulmonary arteries. This causes back pressure into the right atrium, vena cava and the systemic venous system. The causes of core pulmonale are COPD, which is the most common cause, pulmonary embolism, interstitial lung disease, cystic fibrosis, and primary pulmonary hypertension. Often patients with early core pulmonale are asymptomatic. The symptoms of core pulmonale include shortness of breath, peripheral edema, breathlessness on exertion, syncope, which is dizziness and fainting, and chest pain. Signs of core pulmonale on examination include hypoxia, cyanosis, a raised jugular venous pressure or JVP due to a backlog of blood into the jugular veins, peripheral edema, parasternal heave on palpation of the chest, a loud second heart sound, Murmurs, for example, a pansystolic murmur in tricuspid regurgitation, if this occurs. And hepatomegaly, due to back pressure into the hepatic vein. Pulsatile hepatomegaly indicates tricuspid regurgitation. Management of core pulmonale involves treating the symptoms, for example, diuretics to treat edema, and treating the underlying cause. Long-term oxygen therapy is often used and the prognosis is poor unless there's a reversible underlying cause, for example a pulmonary embolism. 
Next, let's talk about an acute exacerbation of COPD. An acute COPD exacerbation presents with rapidly worsening symptoms such as a cough, shortness of breath, sputum production and wheezing. Viral or bacterial infections are often the trigger. Let's talk about arterial blood gases in an acute exacerbation. An acute exacerbation of COPD typically causes a respiratory acidosis involving a low pH indicating acidosis, a low PO2 indicating hypoxia and respiratory failure, a raised PCO2 indicates carbon dioxide retention which is called hypercapnia and a raised bicarbonate indicating chronic retention of CO2. Carbon dioxide or CO2 makes blood acidotic by becoming carbonic acid or H2CO3. Low pH with a raised PCO2 suggests that the patient is acutely retaining carbon dioxide. They're not able to get rid of the carbon dioxide due to the obstructive lung disease. And this makes their blood acidotic, indicating a respiratory acidosis. A raised bicarbonate indicates that the patient chronically retains carbon dioxide. Their kidneys have responded by producing more bicarbonate to balance the chronically raised carbon dioxide which is acidic and this helps to maintain a normal pH. During an acute exacerbation the kidneys can't keep up with the rising level of carbon dioxide so the blood becomes acidotic despite a raised bicarbonate. Let's talk about the other investigations used during an acute exacerbation and these include a chest x-ray to look for pneumonia or other pathology, an ECG to look for arrhythmias or evidence of heart strain, a full blood count where a raised white blood cell count would indicate infection, use an ease to check the electrolytes which may be affected by infections and medications sputum culture to look for infection and blood cultures in patients with signs of sepsis, for example a fever. Next let's talk about oxygen therapy during an acute exacerbation. Many patients with COPD retain carbon dioxide when they're treated with oxygen. This is referred to as oxygen-induced hypercapnia. The mechanism behind this is complex and likely involves a ventilation-perfusion mismatch and haemoglobin binding less well to carbon dioxide when it's also bound to oxygen. Target oxygen saturations of 88-92% to are used in patients with COPD that are at risk of retaining carbon dioxide. These may be adjusted to 94-98% to when confident that they do not retain carbon dioxide. Venturi masks are designed to deliver a specific concentration of oxygen. They allow some of the oxygen to leak out of the side of the mask and normal air to be inhaled alongside the oxygen. This is useful in a patient at risk of retaining carbon dioxide so you can carefully control how much oxygen they get. Environmental air contains 21% oxygen. Venturi masks deliver 24% in the blue mask, 28% in the white mask, 
31% in the orange mask, 35% in the yellow mask, 40% in the red mask, or 60% in the green mask. Let's talk about management of an acute exacerbation. The first-line medical treatments of an acute exacerbation of COPD are regular inhalers or nebulizers containing salbutamol or ipratropium, steroids, for example, prednisolone 30 mg once a day for five days, and antibiotics if there's evidence of infection. Respiratory physiotherapy can be used to help clear sputum. Additional options in severe exacerbations include IV aminophilin, non-invasive ventilation or NIV, and intubation and ventilation with admission to the intensive care unit. Doxapram may be used as a respiratory stimulant where NIV or intubation is not appropriate. Finally, let's talk about non-invasive ventilation. Non-invasive ventilation or NIV involves using a full face mask, a hood covering the entire head or a tight-fitting nasal mask to blow air forcefully into the lungs and ventilate them. NIV is not pleasant for the patient but it's much less invasive than intubation and ventilation. It's a valuable middle point between basic oxygen therapy and mechanical ventilation. NIV involves a cycle of high and low pressure to correspond with the patient's inspiration and expiration. IPAP, which stands for Inspiratory Positive Airway Pressure, is the pressure during inspiration, where air is forced into the lungs. And EPAP, or Expiratory Positive Airway Pressure, is the pressure during expiration, where pressure is used to stop the lungs from collapsing while the patient breathes out. NIV is considered when the following inclusion criteria are met. A persistent respiratory acidosis with a pH less than 7.35 and a PaCO2 of more than 6, despite maximal medical treatment, the potential to recover and NIV being acceptable to the patient. The decision to initiate NIV should be made by a registrar or above. The main contraindications are an untreated pneumothorax or any structural abnormality or pathology affecting the face, airway or gastrointestinal tract. Patients should have a chest x-ray before NIV to exclude a pneumothorax. A plan should be in place for if the NIV fails so that everyone agrees on whether the patient should proceed to intubation, ventilation and ICU, or whether palliative care is more appropriate. The initial pressures are estimated based on the patient's body mass. Pressures are measured in centimetres of water. Potential pressures for an average patient might be IPAP at 16 to 20 centimetres of water usually starting at 12 and increasing every 2 to 5 minutes until the target pressure is reached, and an EPAP of 4 to 6 centimetres of water. ABGs or arterial blood gases are monitored closely whilst on NIV, for example 1 hour after every change, then 4 hourly until stable. 
the IPAP is increased by 2 to 5 centimeter increments until the acidosis resolves. So thanks for listening to this episode on COPD. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about interstitial lung disease.